We're in Whitlock here with another IBM Interconnect interview. Uh, now I'm, I got the pleasure of talking to not one, but two Brian. So on on the left, we have uh, Brian, Brian Pazzo is the chief, is a change evangelist. I like that. I like that. We can talk about that for a while. That's that means that he can close. He can change his clothes fast. Yes. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. He evangelizes change. As long as you put it on clothes, I'm okay. And I'm trying to teach him how to change his first name to be spelled correctly with an I, not a Y. So that's right. Really, uh, yeah. So this, and Brian with the Y here is uh, the CEO of. Germany. Damn. And that's it. That's the that's the intro. To find out more, look these guys up online. Read all about them. These are both people you should be following over time. So um, your your iSocial iSocial fans and, and at Brian Kramer at Brian spelled Kramer with correctly with a Y. I have to tell you, that's easier to remember than iSocial. <laughs> but you know the kids. We just today, had this. To, we were having this debate yesterday. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about the uh, the, the generational difference. So I, I recall first time I really got to know you in person, New York IBM event. Yes. And I ended up saying that uh, they were wrong about what they were saying about millennials and including old people like me and. Uh, and, I, and you were defending me, and then the next thing I know, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm talking to a guy who's young. I had no idea. Now, I've known you for some time, but online doesn't make a difference. Right. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm an oldest, like, I'm 33, so I was born in 81, so I'm on the edge of the millennial age group. Right. And, uh, but I've always firmly believed in the idea of a millennial mindset. I know that was our discussion when we were sitting at that, uh, the Thinkathon put on by Pure Matters team by Brian. Right. Uh, and uh, that was what, one of the things that hit home for me when I was talking about the mindset. And you said, yeah, I'm, I'm a, almost a 65-year-old millennial. And I love that because I think not only embracing that concept, but that's really what it's about. It's We were talking about me being 65 in the future. future yes. I'm still in my future. Yes. 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 You say whatever. You say, I mean, which I think is a very, I think it's a very unique way of looking at it instead right. of it being one variable, which is when someone was born. You're taking multiple variables of what a millennial means from a Right. So, so there are some things, I mean, we could discuss whether I can remember things before you were born. And uh, <laughs> I have two kids that are older than you, so there's a few things I can remember. But, um, but at the same time, uh, when it comes to finding data, it's all online. We have equal access. And so, talking to somebody, perhaps talking to a child is different than talking to a, an adult, but can't we all be the same? Is there, is there things that we really have to put up barriers and say, well, we've got to treat this section differently? Do you want to be treated differently? Well, I don't think, I think part of the problem is no one wants to be labeled. And we're, so we label everybody, and then that's their immediate defense is, I don't want to be labeled. And I, right. I think that's kind of a... Uh, you know, the whole general generalizing something by the year someone's born, I think, is, is slightly a misnomer. Because I can't, I don't think right. you can really generalize anybody by where they live anymore. And your point on social, I think social does give everyone the free, the equal opportunity to tell their story, share their value, learn the same amount of data. We all have the exact right. same opportunity. And I feel if you're not taking advantage of that, you're, you're your own worst enemy. Because I yeah, think you're, that's you're old, of regardless of what your age is. And so. So now we and we have to include the slackers. Are you representing the slackers today? I hope not. The X. I hope not. The in between. <laughs> Are you old enough to be a baby boomer? 
Um, I am uh, just just under there. Just under there. So you're one of them slackers. <laughs> you don't want to be labeled either because the Gen X got a bad rap. You know, it's interesting because um, uh, you take a look at all the labels and um, I'm actually having a very difficult time with even the word millennial. Right. Um, any 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 word. I, I still go back to um, us all just being connected. Yeah. Um, are we generation connected? Um, you know, are we a uh, society that actually wants to be interpreted as somebody who is not connected or connected? When you look at people that are actually on or not on Facebook, because there are a lot of people that have chosen not to be on Facebook. Right. But they can span from teenagers all the way through to um, people That's in true. their 60s, so uh, just older than you. Right, and the people the people that are older than me are, are doing it because they don't want to keep up with the technology, right. so there is a difference, but then it, it, anybody who doesn't get on Facebook is missing out. Um, yes and no. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, my, my daughter's not on Facebook. She, she's on Snapchat and Instagram, and right. she thinks that's the whole social media. Right. Um, and for me to get her down from dinner, I actually have to Snapchat her right. um, and, and Snapchat her a picture at dinner, and then she will come down. So um, I, I think it's it's a it, you know everyone's different, everyone's human. They have different preferences, and right. to label it is 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 kind of not working because yeah. we all want the same things that we've interpreted millennials to want the word millennial, which is like flexibility. Well, who doesn't want flexibility? I think that's it. That's it. I started studying it after we had that meeting in New York and, you know, found out the Forrester Research used millennial as a psychographic term. I further went back in, I was trying to find out about, the, you know, baby boomers dying off because, you know, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and other than one rant I found that said, all baby boomers will be dead by 2025, good riddance. That one, that one, you know, was a little bothersome, but I don't think that's mainstream at all. Uh, a lot of misinformation, a lot of people, you know, thinking that the millennial group is going to grow. They've all been born. Well, how can they grow if it's, if it's the Gen Y? And actually, the demographics is kind of fall apart. Uh, and even when you look at the trends of more, more births and less, and stuff, the whole definition of baby boom, I think it's a... I think that was a change in attitude and a change in culture, not necessarily that it defined, you know, my age group. Um, and so, you know, I didn't feel like I was anybody special when we were changing everything in the 60s. I'm a little bit young, I, you know, never was a hippie, never demonstrated. I had a draft number, but I didn't go to Vietnam, it was never drafted. And, uh, um, and so, you know, I know about that experience, but so what, that's just experiential stuff, that's not... Like I have a different attitude that happens born in a certain. Way. So I found what 1957 is the highest year ever for U.S. births, even though the the country is at least 50 percent larger now. We still haven't topped that number. So there was a definite thing that was happening there, uh, and then uh, and definitely the Gen Y group going to beat beat the number of people uh, smaller than the baby boomers, but that doesn't really matter. And then the, the interesting thing was the Gen X, but at the, in the middle, it's a, like a little bit shorter because they never put these in exact, exact twenty-year cycles. So the summer seventeen, summer twenty-one, depending on who you, you talk to, and there were less uh, born, but it was like not ten percent different. It's not like we dropped births in you half know, in the seventy. Yeah, but look, I mean, they're even saying now that that millennial women and millennial men want something different. Yeah. And they're starting to chop everything up into these little micro. 
marketing uh, unique uh, areas. And at the end of the day, again, I'm going back to this one thing, and it's the same thing I think Brian has that, that I'm hearing too, and, and, and even yourself, and that's that everyone wants the same things. We right. all want to be pleasantly surprised. We all want value. We all want to be felt like we all want to feel like there's personalization, like they care. Who doesn't want someone to reach out to them and say, I care with a chocolate bar that actually has my name on the front and on the back it personalized a message to me that actually talks about the things that I'm interested in, just like IBM did to me yesterday. Right. Like you would love that, you love that, I would love that. There are a lot of consistencies across the board that makes it really unique and special. I I challenge anyone to say, when you talk about what a millennial wants, when someone puts that word, yeah. you know, I challenge you to ask what every other person doesn't want the exact same thing. I, I think that's, I think that's boy, the, that nails it right there. That is I the entire that. point. Every the time point. I read something about millennials, and then I started finding studies that said like uh, a 23-year-old's longevity on the job is shorter than it used to be, here and blah blah blah. Except for 30 years ago, it was the exact same number. Which, which is the, the IBM study that came out last week, the millennial myths, yeah. that was one of the ones, even the one being lazy, where millennials are the lazy generation, but yet right. millennials have... Oh, I know, you can't beat those slackers. Yeah, well, millennials have more, will have more people have taken it and completed college than any other generation, which yeah. is slightly a different world, but I mean, when you put those things in context, you're, you're, we're the lazy generation, but yet I think what you have to do is you have to relook on what you consider lazy. Yeah. Because I, I'm turned, and I part of my passion for millennials happened within the last year. I've been a millennial for my life, right? Yeah. But I always was proud, not only of my age group, but what we were able to do. And I was really disappointed and disheartened when I was able, I was invited to a millennial event. So many millennials hated the label because it gave them a bad reputation. Right. And that, I mean, it fueled, I mean, I the reason I talk about it, the reason I blog about it, Everything was because I was like, wait a second, why are you, why are you afraid of this? This isn't a bad thing, and it's because of this whole idea of I think mislabeled, rumored, and you know partially when it comes to it, too often today the people are too easily excused. If you don't understand it, you don't willing to learn. You're not willing to use the technology. It's easier to blame it and hate on it than right. it is to learn what that whole. Thing we just have some different things to culturally put down and say that aren't quite right. Like uh, like Brian with the Y was saying, um, we all want the same things, and I put, I boil it down to human experiences. We all want to be connected, and we all want to share stories. Right. So you know, I meet you, we start sharing our past stories, and pretty soon we start making our own stories together, and then we want to share that with other people and connect and do more. And if you don't want to connect. Uh, it's a different, you know, it's a different psychosis going on here. Which is why I think Unabomber. Brian's book and the human to human element. Right. I think that resonates with millennials very like, at a high level because millennials are assumed we're the technology, right. we're digitally connected, but we are ultimately using social media not to be social, but for social media. But we're using it so that we can meet more people, more human to human interaction, and right. because of social. I'm not limited by borders, locations, yeah. backgrounds. I don't have to be a resume. I have so many friends that live in Australia and the UK that I've never met, never known if it wasn't for this technology. But I don't want to be connected with them on social media. I want to have a human-human connect relationship. And I think that's what I we I think we just use some different technology. Like earlier, I mentioned Facebook, and you corrected me that could be Snapchat. It doesn't really matter about the platform. It's, it's human to human. Once we connect, 
we don't, you know, whatever it is. But I'll have conversations with some people that'll move from, you know, SMS to Twitter to usually SMS or Twitter because they're both short. So here, here's one of the major on the phone, meeting in person. Here's one of the major differences I talk about in the book is is uh, how we all actually receive information that separates us. Right. So some of us are a little bit more auditory. Like, um, actually, like yourself, and some of us are a little bit more, uh, actually, uh, I, I'm not sure you can even say that, but some of us are a little bit more visual, mm-hmm. and some of us are a little bit more around touch and feel, so you can start to divide people up into how they receive information right. easier than you can label them, and that's how they receive content, and then you start to divide, you start to build your marketing plan around sensory marketing rather than around labeling people and how they like to connect. That's way easier to do as a marketer than to say, he's flexible, he's connected, he's not connected, and, and start labeling people in a certain way. And, and the reason we label people is because in the mass century, which I call, you know, the 20th century I call the mass century, it's when, if you had the bigger transmitter, you were able to do mass production, do anything capital, whatever, you were able to get ahead, be big, and push out. And, and now we're back to you know connecting individuals. We're we're connecting through thought leadership. We're we're right. at, we're, at, we're the and Seth Godin said this. We're we're the age of of, um, of, of thinking. Right. Now. This is this is shifted from the industrial age. So um, you know everything that we're doing right now is in, is intelligently put for one human to share with another person right. and to learn from them and build things together and that they can share co- co-create. Exactly, co-create and then build something upon each other. So the people that are being left out are the ones that are actually not participating in creating together. They're the ones that are still standing alone, creating something alone. Right. That's and, the difference. And, you know, today when I read a book, I expect I'm going to be able to find the author and send him a message. Uh, sure. It used to be I'd read a book and i think like, you know, oh, you know, I've never reached that goal. I'm the chief guy that wrote the book and sold millions of copies. I emailed him a month ago. He responded. Yeah. I have since too. I, didn't I did the know same that thing back with the, uh, back in the day when I became a Seth Godin fan. Yeah, uh, I talked to Tom Peters on Twitter there you regularly. Go. Yeah, one of, one of my great biggest, guy. Yeah, one of my great. biggest aha moments on social media was I had tweeted out to Vala Asfar after reading his book Social Business Excellence, saying, "Hey, I had to take a, I had to take a picture of your book, took it into my CEO, and I just got a higher budget because of what your book." I tweeted that out to him. In seconds, he tweeted back and went back and forth. That was two and a half years ago. He's now a mentor that I I talk to on a regular basis. Gives me career and life advice, and that happened via social. And like for me, that wraps it up. And the reason I say change change evangelist is new for me because I was a technology evangelist. It was my full time job for a while at my last company. But I never talk. I I mentor and I focus on how you embrace change and the elements of how, you have to be a really good storyteller. It's always what I focus on when I'm mentoring, especially a millennial. It's be great at storytelling and understanding people because right. the technology will always change and technology will always be something you have to learn. But when you met, when you really work hard on those two, those are like the most powerful elements, in my opinion, when it comes to a really good human, you know what humans, other humans want. I love Brian's you know, idea of what how you consume. I mean, one of the things I coach on social media is not only do you have to listen and understand how people interact, but you, wanna, you have to know where their preferred method is of consuming. Brian Snapchats his daughter to come down. He can send her a SMS or tweet at her with her primary right. communication channel is Snapchat. Also, it would be possible to say, if you don't come when I call for dinner, you don't eat. So think about it it's this up way to you. too. You can have it any way well, you want. That, that, uh, yeah. that is a good point. But yeah. think about it this way too. 
we used to market, um, put a marketing plan together, and then we would match the mediums to that. Right. I believe that's actually shifting. I believe that we actually need to build our marketing campaigns around the platforms that we want to use. Right. Because the platforms are specific in what they can do and what we want to achieve. So we have to be scalable enough to, or uh, flexible enough to use what those platforms are going right. to do. So Snapchat, I can build a campaign around getting my daughter to dinner. Right. And I know that she's on that. I can't build it around Facebook because she's and, not on that. And, and really, it's, you know, I'm, and the reason I brought up the idea about saying you're going to, you know, he's in trouble if he doesn't respond outside of Snapchat, yeah. is that your choice. And a lot of people hear you tell that kind of a story and they probably think of like, well, like the kids today. Yeah. You know? And, and actually, though, that's bringing you closer in another way. A very typical thing to say, hey, we're all here looking at our phone. Right. We're sitting next to each other. It's, we could be closer. So, you don't know what's going on in somebody else's Think relationship. about, Warren, think about the future of email. I don't believe that millennials, as we've defined them, are using email. I think that they use social media DMing on different social platforms to connect them. Right. I just don't think email, I wonder about the future of email. And I think that it's great, especially here at a conference where they've released IBM Verse, where it's actually putting more of a social uh, contextual spin on how to connect with each other and, and giving a, an integration platform for all the social networks out there so that millennials can potentially connect the way that they want to. Where old style email is a one way or two way communication, me sending something to you, you sending it to me, that's not going to exist in the next five years or ten years. Which is, which is the reason I became a huge fan of IBM Verse, is they switched the focus from the focus of a message to a conversation. Right. And it's a conversation between people, not a message, a static right. message that goes back and forth. And that's right. I mean, that's why group message, DMs, all I mean, it's really funny because now this idea of a DM, we're almost going full circle because AOL chat was what I used as a freshman in college in 1999. It was like my favorite platform. You know, the Napster generation is what I was but now it's we're going almost back to this DM where we want to collaborate via chat in real time, right. instant message. You know, I even remember even as a millennial, I remember thinking, I would never text message. Why would I? Why would I have to hit the nine button, you know, three times to get my numbers? Like I, I completely thought that was going to be crazy. Now on my iPhone six plus, you can't find my call button because it's hidden because I don't use the phone aspect of my right. smartphone. Oh, I I'm, use every other aspect. I'm screwed if I ever find myself, God willing, in jail. I don't know a phone number to save my life. I don't either. <laughs> That's a great point. Oh gosh, yeah. Gosh, I suppose you have some one number. I need an emergency <laughs> number assigned just to me because yeah, just I don't know what's going to happen. We have enough, tru- ever... we have enough trouble remembering our passwords for the 3,000 accounts we have. Know, right? Phone numbers have been checked out on my, uh, my repository. Well, I can at you. <laughs> yes, can, can I do that from jail? Can I get my one call? Can I just make it one tweet, please? Because <laughs> i got 140 characters that I can use that I can get a, a lot more people. Actually, actually, what's going to be that all you need to do is, is find a, a place to yell, and then yell with it, right? know what to do. Yeah. Um, well, if you're in jail, it's called oi. Oi, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, you could program, program your phone that when, when you are near a jail, it lets certain people know, and yeah. it could all be automated. That's right. beacon technology, is that a good person has a message to me in jail. Yeah. <laughs> Technology yeah, coming together to help me out. That'd be great. I think every every person getting arrested wants the whole world to know the right. same form. 
Uh, but yeah, it makes a, a difference. I know I've, I've dealt with the relative being in jail and having to, uh, uh, you know, go online and find out things like that. And there were conflicting ideas of you know, where you call, where you wait in line, and a, lot, a whole lot of people go down to the jail and wait for six hours to try to figure out what's going on. There's a lot of human experience that gets better if you figure out a way to trigger these things. It doesn't get rid of the eight shakes. You do always have to have that. It's a mindset as well as, as anything else. And um, I mean, you're, you're you, so H to H. I think I think what you're asking is it's always been here. It's always gonna be here. Right. Um, there's interesting discussions around robotic um, uh, engagement and, and whether you can tell whether it was a robot or not, and whether it can inflect and have sentiment around things that makes you second guess whether it was a human response. And I believe that, um, and, and Jeff Schick said, that, said this last night at our uh, at our party, and I and I agree with him that maybe one day that will happen. That we will not be able to tell the difference between the two. And if we can't tell the difference, does it make any difference? Um, it, uh, well, so it, it doesn't because it, it will because it's scary to think about, but right. it, it isn't because it's because everything has a way of actually transforming into a better place to make it easier for us. And the other thing is that nothing ever happens like that. We all think that things right. happen so quickly, but that's not the case. It happens over time, and we start to get used to things that happen over five years. There's no overnight robotic response. Right. It's something that's going to take place over time. We're going to get used to it a little bit at a time, and eventually we're going to come to trust it. We're going to come to love it. And we're it's going not to come a slippery slope. It. It's actually going up. We want the. We're, we're going to want it, but at the same time, we're also going to crave more in-person attention. Right. The human-to-human -human aspect is something we will always search out. So it's just going to give us more time right. to go have that's, that's the complete argument. For me, automation, technology, social, It's I'm leveraging that so I have more time to be in. I am automating my back part of what I do, social, everything in my life. I want to do that so I have more time to do what I love, make my life happier, engage with the people that I love. And I think that's that whole conversation where that's why I think focusing on storytelling and, and understanding how to relate with people is way more powerful and more important than learning one technology. Because that technology is a means to an end, and in my opinion, right. it's a we, means we to an end. We get to the point where the, where the computer can create a story and make it look like, you know, it wrote the news. I've seen that, you know, it does a pretty good job. You get the facts, but it's not going to change the experience. And most of my experience in news today is talking to friends about it on Facebook. Have you seen the, uh, the hotel in Japan? It's all robots? Mm -hmm. Um, and now I wonder if it's too soon. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I would do it in a hotel. That's all robots. You walk up, you check in with a robot. You need something in your room, they bring it to you. There, if you need food, that's a serve by the by robots. The whole place is a, is a robotic experience. Right. And now you want to take something to the nth degree. I mean, there you go. That, that is. Yeah, that, I mean, we're just talking about Twitter, but yeah. and even, let's take it to a even that you would assume. That, <coughs> so, like, I think the millennial concept there is really interesting because me. I mean, I, I've been on record to say, give me a chip and plenty in my head. I'm ready to do it. And I am on the bleeding edge of that side of the technology and data as a, as a millennial. But I also but don't think you're a normal of, millennial. That's my point. Am I? 
plenty of not millennials. That's what you just said there scared them to death. That right. well. So by just that as an example, it's a perfect example of you can't assume a millennial wants to live in a digital yeah. hotel. Me, I'm millennial. It does. But I can tell you, I mean, not only, not only just me, but yes. Yeah, which is, I fully admit that not only am I Well, odd, the other thing I'm, that came up in the discussion it. last night with the, the, the premium factor and things like that, we're having that, this, we're having that kind of discussion, and I'm thinking like, uh, you know, I don't need to worry about whether or not the, the hotel's going to figure out what kind of underwear I want. What, what, I, what really needs to happen is I, there's a million things that don't get taken out. I know uh, where we're staying, there's a, there's a button you can put for housekeeping or do not disturb, and it's centralized. And I've been saying, boy, we need that for as long as I can remember. And um, there's so many places like that. It just looks a little bit better. Uh, my favorite example is the dry cleaner. If I'm, you know, going making a keynote speech, I need my favorite suit because I would be lucky on stage. And the dry cleaner closes at five. If he knows me, he's going to stay open late. He's going to call me, call my wife, call my assistant. You know, maybe send a courier out with it, whatever. Because that one time is that important. If my dry cleaner ever tells me that my dry cleaning is ready any other time, I consider it an annoyance. And I want to get rid of it. But in that one time, I need to know what it is, and that. that into the See while you're wh while you're waiting for your dry cleaner, I've just 3D printed a jacket <laughs> from a designer in Italy, and I'm going out and I'm having it. And you're having an oh, Amazon drone back delivered. Back <laughs> you, it's still with your lucky jacket. <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. which I mean, I think the data conversation we had last night, listening to Caesars and IBM, right. two polar opposite worlds in the industry. Both leveraging data, social to engage. I thought that conversation. Oh, yeah. Nobody does data like the casinos. Casinos, which, yeah. which I think is a. You know, they I, just I, make I, it look like they're like it's. You're having a lot of fun. They and I might challenge that even say that nobody does data like the casinos unless you're IBM. I mean, like I think maybe <laughs> IBM is the only one that can. can it's one of those. That, it's one of those arena. continuums that when you get done, it, it wraps around and, and the, the endpoints are very close. Which and, and he, you know, I think some part of your conversation there was. Or what are we focusing on? Are you improving the, my experience right. and, and making me have a better experience? Or are you making yourself be able to market to me better, right? And I think I call it data transparency because yeah. I think we're living in that world where there's so much data and you can leverage it in so many different ways. But if you're transparent on how it's leveraging and what your ultimate yeah, goal is, I think you're going to get a lot more. Yeah, you're the 80% is going to embrace that. Where it's the other way where, I mean, we know that all, a lot of these things like Uber. I mean, Uber, we're big fans, we love the tool, but when all of a sudden they never exposed how they were leveraging that data to better predict where cars are being placed, people freaked out. But if they had presented it and said, hey, while you're using this app, we're gonna leverage this to better put cars in your area, because we know that every Friday night for the last two months, you always go to your favorite bar. We're gonna put a car near you because we know that. If they would have told, told the user that upfront, I don't think the uproar or the backlash would have been near what it was because they just weren't transparent with what I they think, were I think it's a users. matter of understanding understanding what's going on. The, the leaders in some of this stuff is the supermarkets and what they can do to predict what you're going to buy. And, you know, we all have cards and reward programs and they keep all this data of what we're buying. And they do that at the checkout on the way out. And so the shopping cart people put the, you know, the video display screen on the shopping cart. When they switch from in the test market, that's why we don't have more widespread. When they switched and started saying, hey, here's what's on sale today based on what you bought before, people were creeped out. 
But knowing that data, there's a lot of things you can do with those three thousand. Which is fish, fish go bad, and you know fish should go bad at three p.m. And so you put them on sale at two. If you've got data on the screen that tells me how many fish loaders are in the store, I can make a decision whether to go fifty cents off or a dollar off. Which in, in the, 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 the social market, the market is interesting. So my dad like, was a candy salesman, owned a candy company, right. and they always use data to give you the end cap, right? right? Or the data to where the the, the product that sold the most got the most space on the on the shelf. Right. So that data in that industry has always been used, but it's not an industry you would think of as tech savvy. But think about now. They want to use that data to even make your experience better, not just present the things in a right. better way. And so I think, unfortunately, some people look at that and go, oh my God, they're using all my data to present all this information well, for me that I didn't really volunteer. But they've already been doing that to you for all these times. They've been doing it for a long time, and it's a matter of how it used. If the store, if the store comes in, and, you know, and it knows it's got any grocery store has got a hundred best customers that come every week, spend a lot of money, big families, whatever. If the store uses that data, collects it, and lets you know when you enter the store, they say, okay, you know, Kramer's in the store. We know, you know, he's got to be stocked up in the liquor department, and he's going to spend a lot. And so that's okay, but they're not going to like display something. Heavy drinker just isn't the store. Um, but, so, uh, but that's probably that's probably a, a easy worry for a lot of people. Right. That says, it could be. and even from the standpoint of a husband doesn't want their when they both go shopping. The husband doesn't want the wife to know that right. he, he share, buys cigarettes here when you're like, right. And when that, he's not so, supposed to be so is my data gonna be or, leveraged? Or my favorite like, is is we have a sale on hammering cream and we know you like that. You know, maybe there's some things that they shouldn't use like this. But now, if the store manager comes up to me and says, uh, I, I, "Good to see you in the store again, Mr. Lock. We, we like you here." Um, you know, we know. In, in my case, it's the candy department and big boys. But um, <laughs> we know you're going to spend a lot of money. We love you. Uh, but they don't need to mention what they know about me. All they need to say is, "Hello, thank you, thank you for being on the show." <laughs> Which is, which is all what it the, takes. Which is that human, goes back to that human um, that, right? And so before we go, where can we find you? iSocialFans everywhere. So iSocialFans.com and iSocialFans okay. on Twitter. And, and uh, we need H2A. Uh, so where do we go to get that? You can go to uh, at Brian Kramer or BrianKramer.com. Okay. And find out about this excellent book. It is all there. It's all there. Great. And you can find out about me same way. My name, Warren Whitlock.